Opening Arguments is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Should we start this deposition, or do you boys just want to hand us a big bag of money? <laughs> big bag of money. I think you guys are making a big mistake. I do mostly tax laws and probate stuff occasionally. I got my law degree at night school. Well, that's fine, Lewis. You got arrested at night. Now, are you going somewhere with this counselor? No, not really. I just wanted to upset the witness, Your Honor. Looks like you did it. I did it, yeah. That is a lucid, intelligent, well-thought-out objection. Thank you, Your Honor. Overruled. Four short weeks ago, I was driving truck. Now I'm sitting on the highest court in the land. Thanks to the George Bush home study course, you two can be a Supreme Court justice. Welcome to Opening Arguments, a podcast that pairs a comedian with a real-life lawyer. This podcast is sponsored by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres, LLC, for entertainment purposes, is not intended as legal advice, and does not form an attorney-client relationship. Don't take legal advice from a podcast. Hello and welcome to Opening Arguments. This is episode 564. I'm Thomas Smith, not a lawyer. That's Andrew Torres, the lawyer. How you doing? <laughs> well, my entire existence has been shortened to one word, but uh, I'm, so, I'm still fantastic. I'm, gonna, I'm right. sticking with it. Uh, my entire existence is that I'm not that one word, so there, we're even. <laughs> Fair enough. How you doing today, uh, Tom? Well, I'm a bit edited out, uh, <laughs> which is great because right after this, I get to go edit more. But that's okay. That's my job. And the reason I'm edited out that I need to tell you all about is Lot Awful Movies 56. Oh, gosh. This we did so much fun. And <laughs> Justice for All. Not the Metallica album, though. If you want to pump that real quick before you watch it, you could. Uh, yeah. No, it's the famous. Uh, I, is the movie famous, or is just that monologue famous? It's because, just. I think it's just yeah, the monologue. So I agree. this is the 1979 Al Pacino that culminates with the very famous and uh, I think completely misunderstood Ooh, in pop culture. Yeah, I you're agree. out of order. You're out of order. The whole system's out of order. Yeah. If you want to find out how that's misunderstood and other things <laughs> about this fairly weird movie. Go check out Lot Awful Movies. That's for $2 patrons and up over on patreon.com slash law. Just finished editing it for hours. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Also, uh, while I'm plugging things I've edited, the other reason I was editing so much, uh, and, and thanks, Andrew, for letting me plug this, Serious Inquiries Only came back. We were Ooh. off for a while, uh, but we came back actually last week. And I want to strongly recommend last week's episode because I think a lot of people who listen to the show will really uh, get a lot out of it. What we like to do on that show most of the time is there's some sort of study or science thingy, <laughs> you know, that's been portrayed in the media as proving certain things. And Lindsay usually takes us through sort of like the Andrew to this show, you know, taking us through what the media misses and what the study, the underlying science actually says. And there was a really interesting one last week that I, I really think everybody should check out. It was a political science study that claimed to show that like the will of the people actually has <laughs> very little influence on law that gets made. You may have yeah, seen it near zero, near zero. <laughs> yeah. And you may have seen it. It went, it is actually older, but it went viral like a month ago or something, you know, like stuff does apparently. And Lindsay took us through it. It's really interesting. Oh. I'm not going to give it away, but if you'd like to hear the expert breakdown of it, go check out serious inquiries only. That's last week's episode. I just did another one yesterday about the uh, Reddit <laughs> subreddit anti-work, which had a whole thingy. Oh. It was really interesting, but, uh, but definitely check out last week's episode. I have heard last week's episode, which is excellent. I, uh, as, as befitting, if she's the Andrew of that, I love Lindsay and you know that, how could you not? I have not yet heard yesterday's cause you know, 
prepping for this show. But last week's was uh, was really, really good and is definitely worth a uh, worth a listen. Thank you. All right. Now let's plug stuff we won't have time to cover because, <laughs> my God, Andrew, what a news week. Holy moly. Yeah. But in a kind of a good way, mostly, I think, right? I think that's right. So, all right. We talked about Lamb. You have probably seen the viral story about the challenge to Madison Cawthorn, representative from North Carolina and uh, insurrectionist. And yeah. he will be breaking that down all of next week. The head of the Oath Keepers, the guy who I described as Slizardo from the Transformers. That's a deep cut. Elmer Stewart Rhodes. He goes by Stewart, Stu to his friends. He's got the eye patch and everything. He has been held without bail. So good news on that front. And I do want to clarify, we don't have an Andrew was wrong segment on cleanup on all 45. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take the heat here. <laughs> wow, no, no consequences over there, huh? Wow. Yeah. Party. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, well, you know, Allison is never wrong. So, uh, sure. you know, it's, it would literally just be uh, me every week. And uh, you know, I, I said something that came out misleading. And so uh, I just want to own up to it here and I'll own up there as well. I said that, Stuart Rhodes was not at the Capitol on 1-6. That's not true, right? He was one of the agitators. It isn't that he wasn't there agitating. It's that he was not one of the folks who breached the Capitol. Right. So he was at the rally. Yes, exactly right. And there are plenty of, you know, and folks have uh, tweeted, you know, him saying dumb Slizardo things. So happy to be corrected. The point of all of this was that, remember, prior to the Rhodes indictment, the bright line was, hey, if you pled guilty and you were outside and you didn't breach the Capitol, you got probation, right? <laughs> and now, I mean, just as a sort of an illustration uh, of how far things have gone in terms of going up the chain, here is somebody who might have plausibly tried to take advantage of that situation uh, a year ago and is now receiving the most serious charge that the DOJ has handed down yet. Now, I, I I do not think that Merrick Garland would have uh, authorized pleading out the uh, head of the Oath Keepers without, you know, sort of real cooperation up the line to probation just because he wasn't physically present. But again, we should be clear that that physical presence was he didn't cross over into the Capitol. He was there on one six coordinating on so all the stuff that we talked about on the show that he did. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. But I do think that that's somewhat of a substantive correction, because if the overall message was, hey, look, people who weren't even there are getting charged, you know, yep. we have to, you know, pare that back a little bit. Yep. Ab absolutely. We do. And that's why I'm saying it. But so. maybe the next set of charges will be people who weren't even there. Wait, there's uh, again, nothing that says no rule in the <laughs> rule book that says that won't be true. I sincerely hope that it will be so also note on Stuart Rhodes yes he has an eye patch but also yes it's from a hilariously right-wing way of injuring yourself <laughs> so I think it's okay he dropped a loaded handgun yeah. and you shot himself in the face so it, that's I'm just giving you the information I'm not yep. saying ethically one way or the other if it's okay to laugh at him and make fun of him for it I'm just I want you to be informed about it is all if you laugh at Seb Gorka and you should you <laughs> need to laugh at Stuart Rhodes so I will fight and die on that hill <laughs> also a uh, little bit of an update to the story we covered in uh, episode 560 involving the fake electors these mm. wannabes who signed <laughs> yeah. who provided in a the note DOJ. saying <laughs> I did a crime here's my here name is, here is my purge. Signed yes. me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we now have confirmation. Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco said, our prosecutors are looking at those and I can't say anything more mm. with respect to ongoing investigations. So absolutely. DOJ is looking at these folks. We know that the Michigan State Attorney General Dana Nessel conducted a year-long study into just the Michigan fake electors and turned that entire folder over to prosecutors. This is to, to federal prosecutors. Mm. And what she said was, if the feds won't go after this, we definitely will in Michigan. But we think that this is better as a federal case huh. because the evidence shows that there are connections between the fraud in Michigan and the fraud in other states. Hmm. Right. So quoting from Nestle, if it became clear to me that there was not going to be any accountability federally, I think it would be incumbent upon my 
department to move forward. These are incredibly serious charges. The gravity of the situation, I don't think, could possibly be overstated as to what it means for our system of elections. We know how close we came to this the insurrection being successful. And then she said, the evidence points to a conspiracy between GOP officials across the country to undermine election results and prevent Biden's electoral college votes from being counted on January 6th. And they don't have jurisdiction, right? Like you would have to seek comedy from other states and it would just be a mess to try and do this at the state level. So the fact that she is satisfied or at least seems satisfied at the moment seems a pretty strong indication that federal indictments are coming. We could talk a lot more on that, but you know, we have, we have a huge show. We do. (laughs) Um, We do. I I will bite my tongue and, and we'll talk more about that another time. And one more quick announcement. It's that time of the month again, Andrew, where we have a live YouTube Q and a, as always, the questions come from patrons only, but everybody can come join it's a lot of fun. You hang out in the chat. We interact with you and we answer, Andrew answers an hour's worth of bonus questions. So much fun. That's going to be Wednesday, the second Groundhog Day. I think we're going to have to watch Groundhog, somehow oh. incorporate Groundhog oh. Day into it. And that'll be Groundhog Day, Wednesday, the second at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Be there, be square. You don't want to miss it. Down. Down. Time for the good news, Andrew. Woo! <laughs> Briar is retiring. I am so glad. This is, it's one of those like, okay, it doesn't mean anything particularly good is happening. Although I think it'll be awesome for some new blood in that uh, Supreme Court. Biden made the very awkward promise to nominate a black woman during the campaign, but like, also I'll take it. That's, that's awesome. You know, like it's, it's kind of weird that he did that. And it's kind of, I, I don't know if that was the best way to do it. However, Let's all take him up on that. That sounds great. So we should get somebody really cool, but it's also more of a celebration of something really bad not happening. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's, you know, that's kind of where we are. In hey, I uh, did the, the old OA truism, like it sucks fighting holding actions, yeah. but it sucks worse to lose them. So I like the idea that possibly Stephen Breyer was trolling us all along, right? <laughs> we we have a high level patron who's uh, got to change their screen name now, right? That their yeah. their name is. Uh, we wish a, a happy all Stephen Breyers retire now, mm-hmm. right? And you're gonna get your wish. Oh, by the way, uh, you're you're not only gonna get your wish, but but the resignation letter is. I intend this decision to resign to take effect. When the court recesses uh, for the summer this year, which is typically in late June or early July, assuming that by then my successor has been nominated and confirmed. I like it. Okay. So So we're not stuck in case of some shenanigans, something crazy happens in the Senate. We're not, he's not committed to having to retire. Yeah, that's that's right. Smart. I, I, I want to tell you that those shenanigans, like I cannot come up with what those shenanigans would be. I'm going to talk about well, how I could. Uh, one of the either mansion or cinema changing parties and being horrible. I mean, it's not likely. I'm just saying it's not. Yeah, I wouldn't call that. I'm sorry. I wouldn't call that shenanigans. I would call that, you know. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. No, and the reason I say that is I'm going to talk about two potential shenanigans that were instantly floated. Right, uh, right. One in Time Magazine and the other just sort of on the internet. Once again, uh, Andrew, I'll save you all a lot of work. If there was anything the Republicans could do, we would have done it when the Republicans were doing this. But there you go. (laughs) <laughs> Amy Coney Barrett and Gorsuch, <laughs> kind of in all of them, I guess. So first, part of this coming as a super pleasant surprise is that uh, Stephen Breyer uh, just wrote a book called The Authority of the Court, meaning the Supreme Court, and The Peril of Politics. Yeah. In that book, he says, proposals have been made to increase the number of Supreme Court justices. I aim to make those whose reflective instincts may favor significant structural or other similar institutional changes, such as forms of court packing think long and hard before embodying those changes in law. 
Oh, we have actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I changed my view on this. Yeah, I, I literally Andrew, like six have years. Done that. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear me on the uh, David Pakman show making the case for not packing the court in 2017. So respectfully, uh, Mr. Justice, I have done so. And then if the public comes to see judges as merely politicians in robes, its confidence in the courts and the rule of, it, of law itself can only decline. He's just describing what already exists, at, right. but as a cautionary tale, you're like, we're, yeah. we're already there, man. Yeah. We did it. Done. (laughs) Stephen Brown. It would be really terrible if we had some kind of incompetent president, maybe a game show host, uh, who took ideological rubes in their 30s. Is this a book he intended to send back in a time machine, but the time machine failed? Because that would explain a lot. If he meant to send it back to 10 years ago, you'd be like, oh, wow, what a prescient book. If you sent the time machine back to 1965, maybe, right? (laughs) I mean, seriously, the right wing has been complaining about the court not being political enough for through my parents' lifetimes, right? Like the, the criticisms of Richard Nixon for basically failing to do what subsequent Republican presidents would do. You can still read criticisms in print from George H. W. Bush nominating David Souter to the bench in 1991. And when I say that, I mean, one of the things that was a topic of discussion at my debate with Justin Walker was Justin Walker's constant reassurances when he was in conservative media outlets on Fox News and speaking to fellow conservatives that, quote, Brett Kavanaugh will not go wobbly, end of quote. And so, yes, these folks have, by the way, I mean, Justin Walker was like in kindergarten when David Souter was nominated to the court, uh, which is a terrifying thought. There is a long institutional right wing memory of, hey, I'm thinking of uh, the the language that Rod Blagojevich used in describing Barack Obama's Senate seat, right? Like, yeah, I got this effing thing here and it's effing golden and I'm going to effing take advantage of it, right? Yeah. And that's what Republican right wing orchestrators have been agitating their presidents to do since time immemorial, at least since Richard Nixon. So Breyer wrote this kind of book and uh, said, I'm definitely not going to retire. And uh, and here we are looking at. Well, I don't know if he said that. He just. Was oh, he really a- absolutely answered questions th- in such a way as to suggest that he would not retire as part of a political process. And here the Democrats are staring down the barrel of, of possibly losing one or both houses of, of Congress uh, in the midterm elections. And Stephen Breyer has, yeah. has done the right thing. <laughs> I, I think that was him trying to sanitize the whole. He's trying to make his whole, his whole book tour and all this bullshit he's been doing that's been really tiresome the last, I don't know, year <laughs> is him trying to make the claim that something we all know is true isn't true. That the Supreme Court isn't just a political thingy and and that it's actually healthy and it's all fine. And I just think as part of that, he did a bunch of, and I'm not retiring as a political thingy. That wasn't yep. exactly the same as him saying, I'm never retiring. You're going to have to pry the... The court Whatever. for my yeah, cold gavel. From- <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um, but yes, anyway, good news. I'm so yep. glad he made the right decision. Are you going to go like four for four in predicting the next uh, <laughs> Supreme Court justices? So, yeah, a lot of folks have asked. It was super easy to predict the Trump nominees because I would just oh, ask myself, point. who would Leonard Leo nominate? And yeah. that was it. Although I got to take credit because there was one that I got right that you didn't because I was like, no, he'll do the most evil thing. And you're like, I think he'll do the second most evil thing. And yeah. I think it, I think I was right. Is that Amy Coney Barrett? That was no? Amy Coney Barrett, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. But as a show, we're really good at these predictions. So let's <laughs> nail it. So as you point out on the campaign trail, uh, Biden promised to nominate an African American woman uh, to the Supreme Court. By the way, like that has brought the racists out in force oh, with yeah. respect to that. And uh, you know, it's doubly galling when they quote Martin Luther King. You know, well, why aren't we judging them by the content uh-huh. of that? And I have already gone over the numbers. I, I will tell you, um, as part of the comings and goings segment that I do on, on Clean Up on All 45, the degree to which Joe Biden's nominees have been genuinely diverse up and down the judiciary, yeah. up and down the executive branch, is it's really inspiring. It's in, and, and it's inspiring in a way that... I would not have expected from, you know, a, a president who's a 512-year-old white guy. Add to that the record-breaking speed, too. Yeah. 
Yep. I, it finally feels like we're fighting fire with fire in, in terms of the federal judiciary, doesn't it? It finally feels like we're like, all right, we're late to the party. We <laughs> we brought the knife to the gunfight. We got shot several times, but we sort of are alive, and we now we have a gun. Now we also Ooh, have a gun. Who would have thought that our secret weapon would have been Joe, Joe Biden? Yeah. <laughs> all right, but I'm, I'm going to go through what – this is not a, uh, a hot take. Based on that, my instant reaction was uh, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, who was uh, elevated to the D.C. Circuit just last year, a rock star, unimpeachably talented, no doubt about it, well-qualified, you know, will earn a well-qualified rating from the ABA. But does she know what a motion in limine is, if I were to ask that? (laughs) Not a Justin or a Corey, I will say that. That just sort of feels like the front-runner choice. I think it will come down to either Katanji Brown-Jackson or the youngest person who has been floated on the rumor. I like it. I already like it already. (laughs) Leandra Kruger, who is 45. She is not young enough for me on this. I know it should be Morgan, Morgan Stringer. Can we do like the Gattaca thing where we, we know (laughs) genetically know how long they're going to live. That'll be the next leg of this battle. As we start genetically determining who's actually going to live to be 105. I want three clones of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. (laughs) Oh yeah. An old one, a middle one, a young one. Yeah. yeah, Exactly. On the Supreme court at all time. And so I'm going to make two predictions here. So I think, uh, Brown Jackson and uh, Leandra Kruger. Talk a little bit about her in a minute, but I want to frame. So I think it will come down to those two. And I think if, as it appears to be leaning Kruger, what you will see is criticism on the left of her not being the leftmost candidate. Hmm. Based on what? What is that based on? Based on the position that she has occupied on the California state Supreme Court. Ah. Right? So if she is in fact the nominee or it looks like she's going to be the nominee, you, you know we will do a deep dive on her jurisprudence. But I will tell you, I expect that it will be classified as sort of a, well, do you want the most liberal of the two picks, which would be Jackson, or do you want the younger of the two picks, mm. which would be Kruger? Either way, I mean, you cannot measure the distance apart that even the swing vote on the California Supreme Court, which, by the way, is a very, very liberal court, is from the, you know, current composition of the Supreme Court. So Mm. I I don't think I think both would be eminently qualified. I think both will be fine in terms of, uh, you know, Democrats. Now, here I'm assuring, uh, you know, my fellow liberals, uh, Leandra Kruger, Kruger will not go wobbly. I think that both are eminently qualified. Both will not disappoint as Supreme Court nominees. But, you yeah. know, li- liberals, we love to eat our own. So, Well, here's here's what I'll say about that. I, I don't know what calculation will be made with, you know, Manchin or if anybody wants to be a troublemaker here, Manchin or Cinema. It seems that they have not at all done that with the federal judiciary. But nope. also people don't pay attention to that as much. So, you know, it, I could imagine that this will be a way more headline grabbing thingy. Someone like Cinema or Manchin could want to make make hay with that or whatever. Manchin, Manchin and Cinema both voted and were the key votes uh, to uh, advance Katenji Brown Jackson to the DC circuit. Yeah. So yep. be a but real again, time again. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> she never Cinema underestimate also the Kirsten Cinema of Kirsten Cinema, right? <laughs> to bypass the filibuster when it came to raising the debt ceiling, but not voting rights on Martin Luther King Day. So. Uh, just uh, just have no I, I hear you I, I think the odds are are pretty good that the, they'll go with it but the point I was gonna make is as liberals as people on the left as Democrats I really don't think we ought to fuss too much about a couple points left you know uh, or center on the third justice of you know what I mean like there yep. there's no if this were the swing justice it would make a big difference uh, how left they are this is somebody who's gonna write either, a normal dissent or a slightly more inflammatory dissent is what their role is. So I'm just saying we shouldn't kick ourselves too much over that decision. Now, maybe decades from now, this person could be a swing justice of some kind, and then it would make a difference. But yeah. when, who when, knows? when we hurt, when we are back to having a uh, a sane Supreme Court, yeah, no, I, I I agree with all of that. And and the way to think about it is right from and again, and I I just want to emphasize, I have read 
three or four uh, of of her opinions so far, right? So I, you know, it is incredibly superficial. The not the the notice came last night. I texted you. You were super excited. Well, I was prepping for the show. When we do a deep dive, I'll, I will feel more confident that that mm-hmm. I have a, a full handle on her jurisprudence. But I think I think I have a good snapshot. And the way to think about it is: is she more of an Elena Kagan than a Ruth Bader Ginsburg? If you think about what we've been getting on the Supreme Court as of late, right? That's like choosing between two exquisite desserts after having, you know, a yeah. meal of dog shit. And again, last- just because of the numbers, the marginal, we'll say, yeah. increase in leftism or something will function not at all in any way, shape or form for at least decades. You know, yep. like it's it, it literally will not make it. I mean, maybe you could get some weird alignment at some point where this, there would be a five, four and it would, I I can't, it's hard to fathom what that decision would be though. You know, I I just really don't see this mattering that much. And if anything, maybe you invest in the longer potential tenure. I think it's highly likely the longer tenure possibility would make more of a difference than whatever this marginal difference in leftism would be. Yep. And let's go back to notwithstanding what racist bigots are saying having the perspective of a woman of color on the court is a thing that the Supreme Court needs. The Supreme Court desperately needs uh, the perspective of somebody who's LGBTQ. Like it, it is, these are the kind of background and lived experiences that you bring to understanding cases, the kinds of cases the court hears. It's really astonishing that we are hitting that point now in 2022. I mean, that's why if Biden calls me to do it, I'm going to say no. I'm, I think I'm going to say no, sir. Thank you, Mr. President. But I'm I think you'd be better off with with uh, with somebody else on the Supreme Court. I, That's my I will official join position. you. I will join you in that pledge. Uh, if <laughs> if if asked, I shall decline. If nominated, I yeah, shall abdicate. I, I mean, yeah. I'll take a federal spot. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. DC Circuit. Yeah. You would, Joe. Me. If you're listening. <laughs> really quickly, I want to talk about the bad, right? Because everybody wanted to write the Republicans can block this, yeah. uh, including Guy Writing for Time, who hopefully will learn the perils of trying to be first as opposed to trying <laughs> to be right. There have been two things that have been circulated, and both are just wrong as a matter of procedure. So number one, what was circulated was uh, the Republicans can just refuse to have a quorum mm. and block it that way. No, Weird they can't. We didn't. Do that last time then. <laughs> and and here's why they can't, because I believe it is correct that the vice president does not cast a vote for a quorum, right? In other words, you need 51 senators to constitute a quorum. So that's, I think, the gravamen for where the initial argument comes down. But it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's ignoring the fact that a quorum is presumed under the Senate rules unless someone makes an objection. So the Republicans have two choices. They can either all hold out, at which point no one will make an objection and a quorum will be presumed and things will be fine. Or they can send somebody to go show up and make an <laughs> objection, but then there will be 51 people in the room. So uh, what about opening the door, shouting, is there a quorum? And then running out the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that, but seriously, what uh, <laughs> would that, would that <laughs> work? <laughs> no, because what you would just say is point of order uh, to the chair. What was that last said piece that? of yeah. business? <laughs> right. Yeah. And the chair would then say, uh, yeah, we, we didn't, didn't quite hear, hear that. Uh, who, who was it who rose to make that point? And then, you know, okay. Ted Cruz from Leave somewhere in the hallway. tape recorder. <laughs> Do the old like sitcom thing where they're pretending to be in bed, you know, like Ted Cruz pretends to be in his chair with like a, it's a dummy with a tape it's recorder. A, it's a Ferris Bueller's Day yeah, Off. Yeah, there right. you go. <laughs> so we're so no okay. shenanigans like that. No are shenanigans on the quorum. And then the truly dumb timepiece said, uh, Well, here's the thing that the Judiciary Committee could stall because they have an equal number of Republicans and Democrats because we're split 50-50, and then that would deadlock. And that would all be true if not for the the power-sharing arrangement that we explained as prescient and smart, even while left-wingers were criticizing it way back in January of 2021. So send a big thank you note. It's almost (laughs) like we cover things really well and are not just trying to make (laughs) ideological points in our analysis. It's almost like that. So send a big thank you note 
to Majority Leader Chuck Schumer for having the prescience in 2021 to sit down with Mitch McConnell and negotiate an agreement on the same terms as the Republicans got in 2001 that uh, allows us to advance stuff out of deadlock committees. So we're going to be fine and uh, it's going to be fine. And uh, I am really, really looking forward to being able to do a happy, wonderful deep dive on the jurisprudence of whomever our next Supreme Court nominee will be. If we hadn't worked so hard, I know I say it all the time, but it's worth repeating because all we do these days is just feel crappy for how we can't get everything we want done. And, you know, I get that. I feel crappy for that, too. But imagine if we hadn't won Georgia and this show, this audience raised so much money for those elections. And maybe it was the difference. We, You know, like, honestly, listeners to this show could be the difference in us getting the Supreme Court seat or not. It's uh, it's it's really important that we did that. Please take that as a sign of how much that effort mattered and uh, to keep at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. This show is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Look, I'm not very good at breakfast. You know, you get the like sizzling eggs and all the stuff takes an hour. I, I'm terrible at that. I don't have time. And I'll be honest, I, what I said to you just then was a lie. I probably do have time. I just don't do it. So instead, <laughs> if you're like me and you either don't have time or you just don't do it in the morning, why don't you try Athletic Greens? I started taking Athletic Greens because, like I said, I've just eaten like a bowl of cereal in the morning. I just don't I don't have the energy in the morning to do it. So adding Athletic Greens adds a whole bunch of stuff that uh, might do my body some good and takes zero time and tastes great. Doesn't taste like a gross health thing. Tastes nice. Mild tropical taste. So what is Athletic Greens? Well, in one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're getting 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. I don't even know what those are, but they sound good. I want to adapt, I think, in general. So that's good. The special blend of ingredients supports gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, all that stuff. And, you know, tons of people take some sort of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. And Athletic Greens is far cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. In fact, Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a lot of gut health issues <laughs> and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It cost him 100 dollars a day. So he created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on his own. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and Five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash opening. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash opening to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. That's athleticgreens.com slash opening. All right, next story. I, I love this. Another media story that was just very interesting that people wanted to hear about. There was a case where at will employees were being forced to not quit, even though you would think at will, it's right there in the name. Uh, They're being prevented from quitting. <laughs> How can you have a guilty bystander? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic Seinfeld. And a lot of people asked us about this. So what happened here? This is an astonishing story to me. I think we may have gotten more emails, social media requests uh, to, to cover the story than, than maybe anything in recent memory. A ton of hysteria, news articles using words like slavery, people talking about the judge. and So I'm going to explain everything that happened, but, but I want to start by challenging the premise. That is the idea that you could not imagine a circumstance under which an at-will employee would be required by the court via injunction to do things, even though... Technically speaking, they're free to leave their job. This hypothetical is super easy to imagine. Imagine, I don't know, Citibank hires, uh, you know, Dustin over here to run their IT department. 
Dustin runs the IT department and whatever, and it's fine, but it kind of sucks working for Citibank. And eventually, like Google approaches him and they're going to offer him three times his salary. And, you know, one day Dustin is just gets up and leaves and is like, okay, I'm an at-will employee, uh, Citibank, this has been great, uh, but uh, peace, I'm out of here, I'm going to go work for Google. And then let's suppose Citibank discovers that the only person who knows how to turn on the computer software (laughs) that enables people to access their bank accounts is Dustin. Well, Citibank is going to go into court and they are 100% going to get an injunction. And Dustin is like, screw you guys. I'm out of here. Oh, I'm the only one with the password. Oh, well, that's too bad. I'm, I'm sure you'll figure it out eventually. No, Citibank will go into court and get an injunction that will force Dustin to give them the password, turn on the computer software, and maybe even train like the new guy they've hired how to bring up that particular piece of software. That's interesting because, you know, it it sort of strikes me as like the cruel door of unfettered capitalism, I guess, only swings one way. Like if you're going to screw over an employee, that's fine. It's capitalism. It's at will. But if the company might have a problem, then all of a sudden it's not just letter of the law. All of a sudden it's not just like, well, the contract specifies it's uh, you get to be like, yeah, but we're a big company and we hate this. So come well, work over here. So I don't disagree. It's interesting. With, I'm not saying I, it's wrong. No, no, it's just, I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't disagree with that take uh, in, in, in one sense in terms of how power is allocated. Uh, but I, but I, oh, I would push back in, in, in another sense, which is the, Injunctive relief standards that we're talking about here are the interests of the public, right? Like the the mm. justification here would not be, oh, we're going to be Citibank would have to pay, <laughs> you know, right? Like yeah. the justification would be millions of consumers would okay. be unable to access Gosh, their bank. Fair accounts. enough. So if you if you presented the court with the argument like, you know, this is just sucks for us at Citibank, we're you know we're gonna have to put some weekends in. That's not going to get you the injunction. No. Okay. Um, That's and, fair. And, and and in fact, okay, this is, and, and I want to be very, very clear. This injunction was handed down on a Friday and reversed on a Monday. Yeah. Um, and in that tiny amount of time, we had more emails. Yep. Than anything uh, and I can explain exactly how that happened. But so first, I want to characterize it in the terms most favorable to Theta Care. Okay. And ThetaCare is the evil operator in all of this. They're the ones who went to court and they got the TRO and it got reversed on Monday. ThetaCare's argument on Friday was this. We are a level two trauma center Mm. and this other company uh, called Ascension that owns a hospital called St. Elizabeth Hospital that's seven miles away, went and poached our radiology team. Uh. St. Elizabeth's is a level three trauma center. And so the problem is- They need some more experience points. Yeah, right. Sorry. Well, level, <laughs> the lower levels are, go, are worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah are, The lower oh. levels are better, right? Oh, so, they're better. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, right. So the idea is that potential patients uh, now, having lost our radiology team, we might be in danger of losing our level two certification. And that means that the kind of patients that need level two trauma centers and not a level three center uh, would now have to travel much greater distances. And that would be super bad for those Mm -hmm. patients, right? Because they're undergoing severe trauma. And so what we want is a temporary restraining order that says, Hey, radiology team, don't leave while we figure this out. And that's what they got on Friday. And again, I'm going to explain how that got unwound, uh, but I want to make the case that 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 it was not an unreasonable request right. and maybe not even an unreasonable grant, right? Like the whole purpose of a temporary restraining order is to preserve the status quo, is to say, okay, you know what? You're right. This seems like a situation in which severely ill people might suffer an undue harm. And we think that outweighs a day's worth of employees getting to go where they want to go. Now, over the weekend, a a bunch of information, additional information was adduced. And the other company, Ascension, went back into court on Monday and successfully got the TRO dissolved and said there's not going to be any preliminary injunction because they introduced some additional facts. Biggest fact that I saw in 
exactly zero of the articles that were full of outrage from Friday uh, is that uh, this covered seven people. Like the headlines I was I was reading, I was thinking hundreds, yeah. thousands of people were, you know, being held to their contract. No. So what happened was, um, and again, uh, Ascension denies that they secretly poached these folks. I think they're probably lying. Right. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're probably lying. Right. The idea is they say, look, we posted these jobs publicly. Uh, the first person who came in worked for Theta Care. Oh, they said, and then they kind of tell their friends. Sort yeah. Of thing. And yeah. they said, and then eventually you know, uh, that happens. I've <laughs> right. Worked, the I've whole team in the state. Actually, that happens all the time. We have these different teams and different, you know, units and, and somebody leaves and like, yeah, I know. I know some good workers who we could also get. Exactly. And then, uh, right. Poached yeah. everybody. Yeah, and so I so I think they probably did poach, right? But but it doesn't again shouldn't matter at yeah. will employees. Uh we're talking about four radiology techs and three nurses, right? So so no doctors. Uh we're talking about the the supporting team, the radiology team. And then they point out that not only are they going to a facility that is less than seven miles away. They're both in the, what I'm sure is the sprawling metropolis of Nina, Wisconsin. But uh, in addition to that, uh, there are level two trauma centers that are a 20 minute drive or five minute helicopter ride away in Green Bay, right? So the St. Elizabeth's argument was, hey, we're right around the corner. The same team that works with the same doctors will now be doing that work with us as opposed to with them. So that doesn't really matter. The level two versus level three trauma distinction comes into play after they've done their radiology work. Uh, and uh. it's not clear that theta care is going to lose its certification. And by the way, even if they did the patients, you could drive them uh, in an ambulance to green Bay. If somehow they were overstocked or airlift them a five minute helicopter ride. And so on the basis of all of that evidence, the court said, well, you know what? Now we think probably the public's interest is not sufficient to override the free market concerns of right. these seven people to switch uh, and quit their jobs at Theta Care and uh, start up their their new jobs at St. Elizabeth. Uh, and they were supposed to do that on Monday. I guess they lost that. Monday's worth of uh, being in on it's my first day. I mean, you know, they were probably just going to, you know, get the uh, uh, employee handbook and right. you know do some do some training. Maybe they now have to had to do that on Tuesday, but they lost at most part of a day in the scope of doing that. So that's how that happened. But I, an awful lot didn't make it into the stories. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, it's, it must. You never know with these things, with, with how huge the news ecosystem is. It's weird when one of these things gets shared with a spin on it, you know, and you or I don't necessarily follow whoever that person on Twitter is or, who you know, whoever the, like, purveyor of that thing is. And then we hear from a bunch of people who are seeing it with a slant and it's it's interesting it's just it's just an interesting phenomenon you know well and what happened was people said you know on friday on saturday you know weigh in comment describe and and i could not find i can pull up the case number because this is a state court in Wisconsin. I can pull up the case number. I can see the documents, the title of the documents that are filed. But when I click on it, it, it doesn't pull up the underlying document itself. Right. Mm. So I could not find the initial temporary restraining order that was entered. Um, ultimately, uh, what happened was because of the tempest, uh, there were folks covering the Monday hearing uh, in the news who then, you know, made photographic copies of the filings. I have uploaded uh, the uh, Ascensions brief, that's who owns St. Elizabeth Hospital, to uh, our, going to be linked in the show notes, but it's it's now part of our document collection. So, you know, once I finally got the document, I could piece, I could piece together what was going on. But uh, this is why, you know, I, we try not to have an opinion until I can figure out exactly what the legal documents, documents are. people. He Love needs them. documents. Feed Andrew documents. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect transition to a story in which there are no documents. Ah, uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> so we're done with it then. There's no nothing to cover. No, this is something we have to talk about. I, re yeah. I requested this. I'm sad there aren't documents. I'm sad there doesn't seem to be any transcript, just some amount of reporting. 
This is Avenatti versus Stormy Daniels. Michael Avenatti, presidential hopeful. (laughs) This show called Avenatti as a scumbag quite early. We're proud of that. And uh, in, in continuing that coverage, this is the case of Stormy Daniels suing Avenatti, right, to try to get some of the money back that uh, he built her out of. And because Avenatti is representing himself, because he's a lawyer, we get some personal Avenatti cross-examining Stormy Daniels. And I just wish we had the tape. I'm curious how this went, but uh, what can you tell us? So uh, a couple of things. The, the, the first is this is actually a criminal case against Avenatti in New York. Oh, and I then, thought it was her civil case. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, no. no and, gotcha. and, and not only which case is this, but which criminal Avenatti case yeah, alleging yeah. fraud against <laughs> his very former Trumpian. clients is yeah. this. There, there are at least three that I know of and potentially more. So let's unpack that. Two years ago, Avenatti was indicted in New York for shaking down Nike. And he got two and a half years for that. Although given COVID, he served most of that under house arrest, home detention. And one may infer that this was not a particularly onerous. It kind of reminds me of the little trial uh, that we talk about in the, the recent Lamb, where Al Pacino and Craig T. Nelson are arguing. And then there's a farcical trial taking place below them seems a little unfair but anyway like that was super bad what avenatti did right like that was avenatti met with nike under the pretense of representing an amateur high school basketball team that nike pulled its seventy two thousand dollar sponsorship from right and avenatti said coach has information that uh, will make you look real real bad nike and Presumably, that was paying college athletes, right, in violation oh, right. of yeah. the various NCAA restrictions. And so Avenatti goes in and says, unless you know you agree to settle with my client, I'm going to take $10 billion off your market cap. Or my name isn't defendant number one. <laughs> <laughs> By releasing all of these details. And, and I will tell you, leveraging bad documents against a client is a time-honored plaintiff's tactic, right? Ah. That, that's not in and of itself the reason that, that Avenatti was subject to criminal prosecution here. It was rather the terms of the deal that he proposed were the real problem, right? It was, hey, Nike, you pay the basketball team one and a half million dollars. And then I also want you to have me and I am not making this up. Mark Garagos, celebrity lawyer, Mark Garagos, come in and we're going to do an internal investigation to make sure this never happens again. By the way, we estimate that that internal investigation is going to cost $25 million. (laughs) And and again, this is on the record, 12 million, half of it is to be paid upfront and deemed, quote, earned when paid. So, yeah, this investigation was, I I want me and Mark Garagos, you know, for you to write us a check. Yeah, I mean, it's a shakedown, as you said. right. It is curious. I didn't realize that the first part of that was somehow okay. It was okay to say, like... I I don't want to say that it's okay. okay. I want to say that it it occupies a gray territory. To Mm. say, I've done this a lot, to say, okay, this document has come up in discovery. I think you want to think about whether you want to go to trial and have this document be released to the world. Yeah. Right? Fair. So that's what I mean by gray area, right? So to just say... We have a lot of witness testimony that we would put on if we went to trial that would show that Nike is paying money to college athletes, and that would be terrible for you and terrible for them. So why not don't make us do that? So you can do that to try to get a settlement. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, okay. But that's the part where you're like, and also, <laughs> yeah. I am going to personally benefit And also, from this. I'm going to head yeah. an internal investigation to make sure this doesn't happen again. And then, and, and I haven't gotten to the, the true capper oh, on that. All right. When Nike's lawyers said, I don't know that we need an internal investigation, <laughs> Havanati on tape said, well, you could just pay me the $22.5 million. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, wow. that's a real future president yeah. Michael. Op- we need a Trump to fight. Truck out. It was so dumb. So oh, that's not, so dumb. that is I'm not this case. He that. was convicted, served two and a half years. Again, mostly home detention. It is also not 
the California embezzlement case. This was also in federal court. And the allegations there were that he took settlements meant for clients and spent them on himself. This guy sucks. And in that case, Avenatti represented himself from the very beginning. And this is the the, the connection here on the, the Stormy Daniels part. And the key witness in the California case was former office manager for his law firm, Judy Regnier. Okay, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but R-E-G-N-I-E-R. It'd be Renoir. Well, I've, I, I've known a Regnier, and it's all how the family decides to pronounce, you know, could be Regnier. Yeah, who knows? So Judy was there to testify about payments coming in, payments going out, right? And again, remember, this is the allegation was settlements came in particularly for like old people and Michael Avenatti skimmed money off the top, mm. told old people that, oh, the settlements haven't come in yet. Just really scumbaggery stuff. Avenatti represented himself. His opening statement was, this case is about math. This is about how you calculate what a client is due after their settlement is received. And the key issue that Michael Avenatti, uh, again, apparently not without some talent uh, as an actual lawyer, uh, was able to elicit on cross-examination from Judy, from Judy, <laughs> uh, was that the firm used a particular piece of software called Tax and Bookkeeping Solutions. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Or TABS uh, is what they nope. called it. Yep. And prosecutors had not given him the TABS data. Prosecutor said, look, this is really the first time you've asked about it. And he said, right, well, you know, it came up in cross-examination. How am I going to impeach a witness that says the tabs data says I held on to all of this money if you haven't given it to me? And mm. uh, and the judge in that case declared a mistrial uh, and ordered uh, the prosecutors to, uh, to turn that information over to Michael Avenatti, which hmm. they are in the process of doing, and uh, that case will be retried. So Avenatti now is feeling like, hey, man, I, I got myself a mistrial. I'm king of the world. And that brings us back to New York, where Avenatti has been indicted for defrauding his clients, including Stormy Daniels, right? And here, the principal allegations with respect to Stormy Daniels are that he was funneling everything through his office and she got several advances for her book. And Avenatti would say to her things like, Oh no, that hasn't come in yet. I don't, I, 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 they're just super slow with giving yeah. you your advances. And he had in fact taken the money and spent it already. Jeez. And so stole hundreds of thousands of dollars from her book advance without her knowledge while pretending it hadn't gotten paid. Stormy did as up through and including when we were recording the show. Very sadly, uh, Stormy Daniels was still testifying on direct. It went two days oh. longer than people expected. And she is a spectacularly good witness. Again, yeah, this great. is federal court, so no um, no audio. So I'm relying on transcripts, but uh, but the transcripts are are fantastic. Right? Like set up questions like, why didn't you have Michael Avenatti sign the contract on your behalf? You know, he was your lawyer, he was your agent. Uh, you know, why didn't you have him sign it on your behalf? And she's like. Because I know how to sign my own name and I sign all my <laughs> own stuff. And what that does, so you laugh about it, but there are subsequent fake contracts that Michael Avenatti uh, ostensibly signed on her behalf. Gotcha. And you just remember Stormy Daniels saying, I, I don't need my lawyer to sign my stuff for me. Yeah. I sign my own stuff. And you're like, yep, yes, she does. Like, So it, he's trying to claim like, oh, no, she had me do these things yeah, for right, her. Yeah, right. Just, you know, and and you can see in Avenatti's mind, right? Like, eh, you know, right. The story I'm going to be is right, the, not a sophisticated porn star. Like, of course, the lawyer signs everything for it. Right. Then they went through her text messages. So, and this concerned an instant where yet again, Avenatti had set up up crowdfunding ostensibly <laughs> for her legal fees using her name and you know and leveraging the goodwill that he enjoyed at the time from the left of you know being the guy who was going to bring down Donald Trump and so Stormy texted him to say I'm tired of finding shit out on Twitter which by the way right. really good complaint about your lawyer right yeah. like, and then he texted back look i get it but we should figure out a soft landing because if you attack me publicly it'll look bad for you right. to which stormy daniels texted back is that a threat 
Um, <laughs> and, and just, you know, so Can sadly, I ask you a legal question? Yeah. <laughs> How much does that matter? You know, you always see that, like, is that a threat? And then the person will always be like, no, no, it's not a threat. It's just a, you know, does that all have any legal impact in this trial? Like whether that question and his answer to it. So it, in my view, the effect that it has is in evaluating the witness testimony. So when you're trying to figure out, like, who's telling the truth about which part here, mm. you know, when somebody when somebody has behaved, when someone's communications are perfectly consistent with somebody who, you know, yeah. feels like they're being shaken down, it's harder to, you know, come back and say, oh, no, no, like, you know, I'm going to credit this, uh, you know, this additional, the opposing view. You're like, well, it sure didn't seem that way at the time. You know, mm-hmm. so that's how I would evaluate. That. Gotcha. So sadly, the news gods conspired to dump a bunch of great stories on us this week. We will have to wait until after this record to know the breakdown between uh, Avenatti uh, cross-examining Stormy Daniels. But I thought that that background would help. I, like, I'm not sure that it was even the Stormy Daniels part that was the motivator here, because I will tell you, the, the witness he did get to cross-examine in this trial was Judy Regnier. And that was the moment that he fired his public defenders and said, no, I want to represent myself, was not as the prosecutors were about to call Stormy Daniels. It was one witness before. It was when they were about to call Judy. Uh. So I think probably also wants a shot at at Stormy, but uh, I think it was, hey, I was able to run circles around Judy last time. I bet I can do it again. Interesting. But are you saying we we will get transcripts of this? No, we will get, uh, because it's federal court. Well, it sounds, it seemed like you had something from before. It, oh yeah. No, what I have is people there watching the ah, trial. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought you it. had said there were, tra- okay, my mistake. So yep. we won't probably get transcripts, but we will get some reporting. We will get reporting. There will be a federal transcript. That's going to take, you know, forever to get, uh, to get ordered. And what I was saying is there is no, unlike many state courts, this is not televised. So right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. <laughs> I hope he loses his all seven of the cases against him. And thank you! And now it's time to thank our new patrons at patreon.com slash law. Hopefully they're enjoying that lot awful movies as we speak. It's a lot of fun. Don't miss it. Why don't you start us off, Andrew? New patrons are the best patrons. Mm. So thank you to Robert Pixley. I'm fast at sex. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so good. Cake Meister, Margaret D. John, to Jill Tompkins, to We're No Stranger to Love, You Know the Rules, and So Do I, <laughs> to Lauren Brown, Patrick Goulding, Ronald Rumbaugh, welcome back to Brian Betchia, and thank you to Canadian James in Idaho. Well, that that is God. a nice confluence of What happened? Of stuff. Did you fall down the map a little bit? Get, <laughs> get back up and get out of there. Welcome aboard, all of you. Thank you so much. And thank you to the CDC says take legal advice from a podcast. Not sure if that's a repeat or someone else had the same joke. Could be either, really. Heather Tipton, Karis Ford, the Quantum Cue Ball, Nick Duhamel. I will, too, get legal advice from a podcast. You're not the boss of me. John Langdon, generally bad advice. <laughs> you got to fight for your right to ex parte. That's funny. <laughs> At good. Left in TN on the Twitters. Bill Gates no longer has any connection to Microsoft at all. Yeah, no, that's kind of a Andrew was wrong in in new patron form. Thomas is right uh, about that. And Sammy Scoop. Thank you, new patrons. Bill Gates has no Microsoft stock? Wow. That, that would, would su- surprise me. That would any surprise me. So I haven't checked that, but like, I don't think he's working on their behalf at all. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, any, I, I any more than, don't think yeah. that's what I said. I think I said that uh, I, it's probably still in his financial interest for Microsoft to do well. But he owns 1.3% of Microsoft. That's interesting. Hmm. That's a low percent. I mean, it's still, I think it still adds up to a lot of money. But. I will take 1.3% of Microsoft. I uh, just want to make that known. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if yeah. We, if you, if you we want have to a hand listener, it to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, a little bonus. Uh, I, guess, I won't say Andrew is wrong, but some yeah. clarifications bonus in, the, uh, in, clarification. the, in the patron things. Oh, no associate of this firm has ever failed the bar exam. No kidding. 
And now it's time for an exam that Avenatti would not pass. Uh, Thomas takes the ethics exam. <laughs> somebody, somebody wrote in and suggested Thomas tries to be ethical as still being oh, a T three B. So I love it. Thomas love it. tries to be ethical. Yeah, T three B. I guess this is question number three, and we're kind of going to play this by ear in terms of how many of these things I need to uh, to answer. But here it goes. Let's see if I can. Outdo Michael Avenatti by by a landslide. An attorney represented a company that produces chemical products. Some of the waste products of the company's manufacturing processes are highly toxic and are reasonably certain to cause substantial bodily harm if disposed of improperly. The president of the company recently informed the attorney that a new employee had mistakenly disposed of the waste products in the ground behind the company plant, an area that is part of the source of the city's water supply. The attorney advised the president that the company could be civilly and criminally liable for negligence in lawsuits brought by persons harmed by the waste products. All right, that sounds good. The attorney advised the president to immediately report the problem to city authorities. Fearful of adverse publicity, the president declined to do so. (laughs) The attorney further advised the president that she believed the president's decision was immoral. The president continued to decline to report the matter. The attorney then informed the president that she was withdrawing from the representation and would inform the authorities herself. Immediately after withdrawing, the attorney reported the company's conduct to the authorities. Mm. Is the attorney subject to discipline? A- Yes, because the attorney received the information in confidence and was not permitted to reveal the information without the company's consent. B, yes, because the company's conduct was not intentional. C, no, because the attorney reasonably believed that the president was pursuing an imprudent and immoral course of conduct. Hmm. Or D, no, because the attorney reasonably believed that the company's disposal of the waste products was reasonably certain to cause substantial bodily harm. Oh, interesting. This feels to me like a slightly harder question than the past three. Let's see if I uh, can keep my streak alive. So I think some key facts here it's so we've, it, is that it seems to be like a PR decision. I think that might come into play. Let's see. So the president informed the attorney that they, they made this mistake and the waste products are going to the groundwater. Attorney advises the president that the company would be civilly and criminally liable for negligence in lawsuits brought by any persons harmed by the waste products. Okay, sure. The attorney advises the president to immediately report the problem to city authorities. Fearful of adverse publicity, the president declined to do so. And then the the attorney further advised the president that she believed the president's decision was immoral. That I don't... That's the part that I, I'm a little worried about. I'm not... I don't remember... We've talked about these issues before, and I don't remember if that's enough. You know, like, I think it has to be something illegal, merely immoral. I don't don't know. We'll see. That could be interesting. President continued to decline to report the matter. So then the attorney informs the president that she's withdrawing from representation, would inform the authorities herself. And then immediately after withdrawing, attorney reports the conduct to the authorities. Okay. So, subject to discipline, yes, because the attorney received the information in confidence and was not permitted to reveal the information without the company's consent. I, that's a weird inconfidence. Is that like attorney-client privilege? That's, it weirdly sounds slightly different than attorney-client privilege. It's not like, oh, I told you as a friend in confidence. It's like, no, you're my attorney. You know, it's It's weird that the language is not quite it doesn't sound quite right b yes because the company's conduct was not intentional i think that's can't possibly be the answer there c no because the attorney reasonably believed that the president was pursuing an imprudent and immoral course of conduct tempting tempting imprudent and immoral though that's the thing it just doesn't it doesn't seem also that might be justification for her leaving like she may be able to justify leaving but I don't know that that justifies the actual revealing of breaking of attorney-client privilege. I think that's a solid elimination. I think C is attractive distractor. I think the answer is D, no, because the attorney reasonably believed that the company's disposal of the waste products was reasonably certain to cause substantial bodily harm. I think that's what we're talking about here when it comes to Revealing attorney, you know, breaking attorney-client privilege. I think that's the standard bodily harm, I believe. But I, I'm i a little worried about this one. I, I think that there's a possibility it's A. 
I think because I'm two for two with the obvious ethical answer, I'm going to stick with D, but I, I think there's a chance this is A and that it's because, I don't know, I still think it's probably D because the waste product is going to cause harm to people. I think it's okay to, to break attorney-client privilege for that, but maybe not. I mean, if it, it, the, there's so much language around like, oh, it's immoral and imprudent, and that I don't think is enough of an excuse to break attorney-client privilege. So that's why I think A, A is a strong second option, more so than in the past questions. So, but I'm going to still go with D, but uh second chance, my second chance ethics firm it would, <laughs> would, would take a stab at a, if, if I need a second guess there. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to picture what the motto for Thomas's second chance ethics <laughs> Again, firm is like, eh, you're probably all right. If you give me two tries, I will do the ethical thing in one of those two tries. That's the, <laughs> We'll get there sooner or later. All right. If you want to play along with Thomas, you know how to do that. Just share out this episode on social media. Include the hashtag T3BE. Include your guests and your reasons. Therefore, we will pick a winner and shower that winner with never-ending fame and fortune. Fame and fortune not guaranteed. And that's our show. Go check out Lot Awful Movies. Get on the Patreon. It's it's so much fun. It's a it's a nice bonus thingy. And because it was late, we'll have another one in like a couple weeks. <laughs> and one more quick reminder. For our Q&A, Groundhog Day, the second, that's 4 p.m. on YouTube, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. We can't wait. Get your questions in on that question thread, patrons. We love to see them. And also, of course, vote for the questions you like. And we'll see you for that live Q&A on Wednesday. I move for a bad court thingy. You mean a mistrial? Yeah, that's why you're the judge and I'm the law talking guy. This has been Opening Arguments with Andrew and Thomas. If you love the show and want to support future episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com law. If you can't support us financially, it would be a big help if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast delivery vehicle you use. And be sure to tell all your friends about us. For questions, suggestions, and complaints, email us at openarguments at gmail.com. The show notes and links are on our website at www.openargs.com. Be sure to join the Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash Mountain and follow us on Twitter at openargs. This podcast is a production of Opening Arguments Media, LLC, All Rights Reserved. It is produced with the assistance of transcriptionist Heather Loveridge, production assistant Ashley Smith, and additional contributions from Morgan Stringer and Deborah Smith. Special thanks to Teresa Gomez, who runs our live shows and heads up the OA Wiki. Follow at OA Wiki on Twitter. Additional thanks to the moderators of the Opening Arguments Facebook community, Emily Waters, Alicia Cook, Eric Brewer, Natalie Newell, Brian Ziegenhagen, and Teresa. And finally, thanks to Thomas Smith, who edits the show and created the fabulous theme music, which was used with permission. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.